is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are underway on this Friday, November 24th. Steinberg along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. I wish you a happy Friday, and I'm about to make it happier. It's time for the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a $312 million positive economic impact in Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus, please play responsibly. And it's time to say hello to Eric Francis from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He joins us from Dallas, Texas. Hello, franchise. Hello, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. I know it doesn't mean a lot to people in Canada, but when you're down in the States, man, I tell you what, the Americans do Thanksgiving right. I'm not saying we don't, but, man, they pour every ounce into it. So uh, so happy Thanksgiving, my friend. I, uh, I was down in the United States uh, in a uh, – I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota one year for the 4th of July. And uh, I remember, I always think like, yeah, Canada Day is big in in Canada. You know, we have our festivals and there's always the Canadian bands that play at COP and like uh, Olympic Plaza and, you know, people have get togethers, there's fireworks. Like, yeah, Canada Day, big deal. And then you're in the U.S. and it's the 4th of July. You're like, okay, they really, they really take this seriously down here. Uh, And I've heard it's the same. I've never been there for Thanksgiving, but I've heard it's the same thing. Well, like, it, it being at the airport the day before Thanksgiving, and they say it's the busiest travel day in America the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, the, I traveled on Thanksgiving yesterday coming from Nashville to Dallas and uh, ghost town, like an absolute ghost town, fantastic day to travel. I've, I've had the good fortune or, or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, to travel on Christmas Day. And uh, that's, that's, that's as empty and kind of almost depressing as any day to fly. But uh, I was traveling, we were uh, on the highway yesterday and uh, drove by Six Flags, the big amusement park. Oh, Six Flags and, over uh, Texas in Arlington, yeah. That's right. And uh, and it was closed. Like, it, it, not nothing was on. The whole thing's just ground to a halt. I bet you there's only two days a year that that thing's not going, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving. So that just shows you how seriously take this, uh, they take this Thanksgiving thing. It's fantastic. I give it just makes you kind of almost envious, like, wow, we love Thanksgiving and it's a time to be with your family, but man, oh man, it's on steroids here for sure. Yeah, well, well, well put. And uh, we will uh, talk a little bit more about Eric Francis's Thanksgiving in Texas as the Eric Francis hour is underway. But it's funny, you talk about the travel. This is... um. This is quite the gauntlet for the Flames that they're kicking off here. They've got Dallas, then they're into Denver for Saturday night. They come back home. They'll get in late on Sunday morning, and then they play Monday night against the defending cup champs for the fourth game in six nights. And this next this next 15-game stretch, which starts against the Stars in Dallas, it includes Dallas twice, Colorado twice, Vegas twice. You've got Carolina, Florida Tampa, New Jersey, Vancouver, all in that mix. Los Angeles in that mix. Like this, this stretch here on November twenty fourth until their game on November, December twenty third in Los Angeles, their last game before Christmas. Like this is as gauntlet like a schedule run I can remember the Flames being on in quite some time. This uh, 
I, I don't know if this decides anything. I'm curious as to what, what your thoughts are. I don't know if this decides anything in terms of what the Flames decide to do with their roster, but it sure does have the potential at the very least to tell us a lot about what this group is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and just to your point, like the players have all been talking about this schedule, like not just today, cause it's the official first game, but all week long, every time you talk to them, they're just talking about ramping up for this, this, this gauntlet, as you put it, you know, I call it a murderer's row, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, when the flames were losing six in a row and having their real struggles off the start, um, I remember thinking like guys, it, what's worse about all this is that they're losing to, to, to crappy teams, like teams that they should be winning against or teams that you need to win against to, to get into the playoffs. So um, now it's time to pay the piper. I think that this organization already has a pretty good handle on how it's going to conduct itself as this season progresses regards to its UFAs and, and what, and what and might, you know, and whatnot. But I do think that about a really horrific run through the next 13, 15 games, uh, could certainly speed that up and also make it quite definitive in terms of, okay, now we know that the playoffs is not like a, it's a bit of a long shot and we'll act this way. Now, I think this team has shown enough over the last eight, nine games that it is definitely going to be a team that I think is going to be good enough to challenge for a playoff spot all year long. I really believe that even if they've got to farm out some of these veterans and start kind of retooling on the fly, I think, I still think there's enough here uh, that this team can still remain competitive this year. I know a lot of people don't necessarily agree with that, but uh, I, I, this, this will be very telling. And Hey, how, how heartening will it be for Flames fans if they can run through this gauntlet? And I mean, I think anybody's hoping for just, if they could just be 500 against those teams, that would be a pretty good run. Now this team needs to be a lot better than 500 the rest of the way to get into the playoffs. But I think that, do you not agree that that would be a pretty good benchmark? I mean, I know because there's a whole lot of home games in there that you're not, you can't be thinking that way as a player, but I think that through these thir- the 13 games are the ones I kind of earmarked uh, if you're if you're if you could be just a game over 500, and that, that's a big win to me. It would be. It just it, it's everything is so clouded for me because of what kind of hangs in the balance here, and I don't know because I'm kind of where you are. I from from everything I understand too, Francis. Like I I think they've got a pretty good idea as to where this thing is headed. Uh, and they've got a pretty good idea as to how they need to attack the four pending unrestricted free agents. And, you know, we're, we're like, would you say in your mind that it's a guarantee that multiple of those guys are getting traded like that? That doesn't seem like I'm being uh, like I'm exaggerating or I'm speaking in hyperbole because I think it's a I think there's a zero percent chance that all four guys resign and thus, there's a hundred percent chance that of the guys that don't resign, they'll get traded. So, just yeah, I I think that we need to be fully prepared for multiple of these guys getting traded. There's absolutely zero chance that none of them are getting traded. Yeah, uh, I would I would say that the over under's got to be three and a half, know, two and a half. I'd even two go and a half. I'd go three yeah. and a half. Could be could be three and a half. I I wouldn't be surprised if there's one standing at the end. No no question about it. But again. Even if you're deciding that you're retooling and kind of get younger and all that, that still doesn't mean you can't sign one of those guys or two of them that a lot of us had probably written off either in the off season or during that really horrible stretch to start the season. Like I think a lot, there was a point 
where when I reported that, and you reported it too, that, that, you know, all contract talks were officially on pause because we got a big problem here. <laughs> and instead of just building this core around the same guys, we may have to revisit that notion. Right. That still stands. They're still on pause with all that. Now they're listing to offers all over the place. There's no question about it. Now, are they getting anywhere close to the prices they've set on these guys? No, they're not. Um, but it's early, right? And, and nobody's just going to give you what you want right away. But as teams get major injuries, as teams start to see where they are at after Christmas, then they start to dig a little deeper and start going, yeah. okay, no, we really, really do need that first-line center like Lindholm, or we really, really do need that, you know, I don't know what you want to call Hannafin, a number two two defenseman, number three defenseman, or, or, or Tanev could probably be described as the same. I don't know. The bottom line is that, uh, you know, this team is not married to keeping all of them. Uh, I think that there's certainly more leaning towards the idea. If I, I, if I had to bet, if you said one, two, three, or four are gone, I'd say three are gone. Three, hey. And I don't even – yeah, I would say that. Now, I guess the only way I wouldn't say that could happen is if this team starts to really surge and plays, you know, 600, 700 hockey for a long time. Then it's like, wow, okay, so maybe the core of this team is more like the, the, the core of this team that won the division two years ago. And then they'd have to uh, – you know, I, there's a big saying around the league. It's not really a saying. It's just a mantra. You don't you don't make big decisions in this league based on one or two games, but you certainly can make big decisions based on ten or twenty games, and that's that's kind of exactly what we're talking about right now. Big decisions will be made after these next twenty games, in a good or bad way. It's funny because, in in some ways, yes, I I'm I'm on board with that, and in other ways, I'm like, what about the '82 last year too? Right? Like this this team isn't that different from the team that missed last year and underachieved last year. So if they play really well in this next 20 games, is that enough to make you convinced that, yeah, you know what, that big deal for Lindholm or that big deal for Hannafin, we need to go down that road and revisit that again. Is, is that enough? And I don't even know if there's a right answer to that, but I think it's a fair question to ask. Like, is, is, is there a worry that you'd still be buying into too small a sample size to make a decision like that? There's a risk, but, you know, up until, what, 10 games ago, they were pretty much convinced that this core was going to be good enough. And so, you know, but I think they've kind of started to really worry over the last 10 games or, or during that opening 10-game stretch that, that maybe maybe we were, were wrong on this. But, you know, I, I'm going to go back to it, and, and you guys, we've all talked about this ad nauseum, so I won't belabor the point, but this team was actually pretty damn good last year. They just couldn't get that one goal. They, they, they you know, again, the what is it, 31 one-goal losses? I, I don't remember the whole stats. It's all clouded now, but it was pretty evident. I remember it was game 76 last season was the first game they had a third period come back for a win. They had two third-period comebacks for a win all of last season. This year, they've already got two. I'm not saying they're that much better, but they certainly feel more confident that they can get that, that goal in the third period to tie it and potentially win it when it matters most. Again, they still suck at shootouts. <laughs> that was their undoing last year. I'm not suggesting they're going to be any better at, in overtime either, but this team was so damn close last year. Uh, well, I always think that the best thing to remind people is they were a point ahead of Florida by the end of the season, yep. and and we saw what Florida did. I'm not saying the Flames could have done that, but it, 
they were just so damn close. So they weren't as bad as I think everybody kind of tries to remember them the year before. The expectations were just so high that it looked like a colossal failure. Um, I don't know. It's I, Again, Craig Conroy, I think deep down, he knows. I've had some really interesting conversations about, you know, where this is going. And, you know, it, 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 I think he knows deep down that uh, – and I'm not putting a number on it because I've never got a number from him on those four guys – but I, I do think that there's going to come a time where that, at least two of them have got to be gone. And, uh, and hey, here's an interesting scenario I'll throw at you, Pat. Like, yeah. We get to a point where, it, okay, it's not working out. This teams, if they do make the playoffs, they're going to barely make the playoffs. And we're getting up to the trade deadline. And nobody's giving you anywhere close to the prices you're looking for for a couple of your biggest names. Do you still sign a guy? Do you still sign a Lindholm for eight eight point five million dollars or seven? I don't know what his value is at right now. I'm sure you guys have had that discussion a lot, but you know, the beginning of the year was you know is he in the nine million dollar range? Well, the season he's having so far, is he is he dropped to eight million now? Is he eight and a half? I don't know. Is Hannafin still at seven and a half? Where reportedly they were about to sign him? I don't know. But if nobody's willing to meet your price. Do you really have a garage sale and just start giving these guys away? Not giving them away, but giving them, you know, selling short of what your expectations were? Or do you bite the bullet, sign them and say, hey, it's an asset that maybe we could trade later? Or what? Like, how do you act if, if nobody re- meets the the prices you've set? Well, it's a very fair question. Um, I do believe that the offers have gotten better than they were from the summertime. I still don't and think they will continue. And I, I, they will continue to get better too. Absolutely. So I think, you know, they were way off what they were looking for. Like they were getting nothing in the summertime for any of these guys that could have potentially been out there. Uh, and so they, they have certainly taken a step and, and they're starting to move in the right direction over the last number of weeks and months. I, I believe that. Um, but I also think that I, I think that, Craig would be willing to go a little under the asking price if they were to get to the deadline and they still haven't like if they're if they're asking for asset A and asset B for Elias Lindholm and they get to the trade deadline he's not signed you're not sure if he still is interested in being signed um, and you'd have to overpay to convince him to keep him uh, to to keep him to stay rather. I, I think that he would, instead of taking asset A1 and B1, he might be okay with taking asset A2 and B2. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do yep. think I think that there would be scenarios where they'd be willing to go under their ask if it meant you didn't risk signing a bad contract or one that you're not enamored with or losing a guy for nothing. I do. And, and there's a lot of questions. Like, there's, there, there's a lot of questions that I get asked on every post game. Like, but Pat, what if they're competitive? What if they're what if they're right there fighting for a playoff spot and and now they if you make these trades your chances of making the playoffs will get worse? I do believe that that Conroy will pull the trigger on those deals. I do believe that they will uh, prioritize the long term good of the franchise for just this season. That's that's my belief. Obviously, proof remains to be in the pudding, but that's that's kind of what I believe. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, it depends how close. If just nobody's, someone's going to come close to their offers, if not match their asking price uh, by the time the deadline comes around. You know, Brian Burke always says, you know, 80% of the mistakes in the league are made on trade deadline day um, and, and teams get desperate. And 
I don't think there's a team out there that's in the mix that wouldn't love to add a guy like Elias Lindholm at the deadline, right? I mean, and his, and his price tag's not that big. The asking price is big, but not the price tag. So uh, I, I, I'm i with you. I, I, I think at the end of the day, if you've got a, if you've got a situation like that, you can't sacrifice and sign a contract you're not comfortable with just because people didn't meet your expectations. Maybe you just misread the room. That's all it would come right. down to. It's funny, you know, and, and it's it's actually interesting you bring up Berkey's name because before you brought up Berkey's name, I was thinking about Brian as well, and I was thinking about the 2014 trade deadline uh, before Brad Treliving was hired as general manager. It was the one deadline that Brian Burke had as the acting general manager, and remember, he didn't trade Mike Camilleri, and he said mm-hmm. that, hey, I'm not, I, I'm not, sending a message to the rest of the league that you can just uh you can come here and you know pillage my team and take away the uh take away the assets and get cut rate prices on it. No, I'm not I'm not allowing that message to be sent to the league. You're you're as tight as they come with with Mr. Burke. I'm curious, you know, that's a decade ago almost. How do you look back at that now knowing where the Flames are now and, and knowing they could have gotten something for Camilleri, but they weren't going to get what Berkey was asking for? Yeah, I, I was critical of it. And I and even in later years when I became almost friends with, with uh, you know, I'll say he's a friend, you know, Berkey, you know, I would say that, um, you know, we, we've always disagreed on that. And, and he said for the long term, you know, long term, uh, we need to show everybody we're setting prices. We know what the market is. And if you're not going to meet it, then then nobody gets them. And I just I just think that sets your organization back a little bit. I still think that that was the wrong move because somewhere in there. And I think, and I may be wrong, I, I, 10 years ago, you're right. I think he wanted a second rounder for Mike Camilleri, and nobody was willing to give him more than a third rounder. And, and again, I don't know how close it was and what, you know, how, how low on the totem pole the, the, the third rounder was going to be and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, he said, I want to get a second rounder, and nobody would give it to him. So he said, I'll eat the asset. And they get zero for it. And they knew that Cam Larry was walking. They had no interest in signing him at the end of the year. So that's just, it's all about asset management. That's what this whole game is about, if you're a general manager. And to me, that was poor asset management. But he saw it as an investment in the future, so that in the future, nobody tries to come to him with a low ball offer and does come with that third rounder and hope that he'll get Mike Camilleri. So... Anyway, it's funny that we both remember that very well. Well, and I and I remember being like, yeah, you know what, Berkey made a good point at the time. Uh, but yeah. looking back on it, uh, looking back on it now, I'm I'm I actually disagree with what I thought then. I, I think they should have traded yeah. him. I really do. It would well, I think well, it, I'm with gone, you. I think it was poor asset mature. management. You've really grown up, right? Like you're learning a lot, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I am, and it's all thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Stick with me. I'll make it dumber. Don't worry. <laughs> what uh, it's the it's the Eric Francis hour, by the way. Franchise joining us from Dallas, and don't worry, we'll we'll get into Francis uh, Francis's uh, Thanksgiving in Dallas a little bit later on this hour. Of course, we will. Oh, no, nobody cares. Nobody I do. Cares. I, uh, hey, I do this show for two people, you and me. That's all. So I don't, I'm I'm just kidding. I do the show for you. I'm kidding. I'm just, uh, oh um, my god. The uh, I, what what should the flames be looking for if, when they make these deals, like, is it, is it clear in your eyes that they just need to be future oriented trades? And I'm not just saying just picks or just 18 year old prospects, but 
they, they, they should be looking for more future oriented deals that have a longer term impact as opposed to the Kachuk trade, right? That brought in a couple of guys who were in their late twenties, soon to be early thirties. They, they shouldn't be going down that road. Should they? No. Yeah. I, I think obviously what you're looking for, certainly with a guy like Lindholm is a mix, right? You want a first round draft pick. You want, you want a top prospect if you can get one, or at least a, a very good prospect. And I think you want someone serviceable who can jump in the lineup right away. And they may not be your 1A center. Obviously, they probably wouldn't be. But uh, you want to be someone who you think can play in the NHL for the rest of the season. Um, you know, so in terms of, you know, I'm sure you guys have had shows where you've broken down exactly with all four guys, exactly what you think the ask should be. And Jason Bukula did, a, did something like that uh, for Sportsnet.ca about three weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think it's just a mix. Listen, I don't think this organization, and I know you agree with me, and from the talks we have from various people in management, this organization is just not going to ever just burn it down. It's just not going to happen. Uh, not under Conroy, uh, not under this ownership group. That doesn't mean you can't do significant retooling and really reshape the team. I really, I think people need to get off the whole burn it to the ground because A, it's not happening here, and B, I'm not sure that's always the best course of action. I think that there are so many good assets in this organization. Obviously, every organization, even Chicago Blackhawks, have some great assets in there. Uh, yeah, the sum of their parts is not effective right now, uh, but in, in Chicago, I mean. And here, it's a middle-of-the-road team right now, but there are still some phenomenal assets, and a lot of them are worth keeping. And when, if you can build around them properly, then you can start to really retool this team. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, You've gone over all those price tags, person, player per player, uh, and I, I'm not, I don't really want to get into the weeds of all that. But obviously, you know, there's first rounders being asked for, for, you know, for Hannafin, um, uh, for I, I don't again, I don't want to get into that because I don't really know. Well, will you tell me? It, obviously, for Lindholm, it's a minimum first rounder, and then you start building around that. Uh, you know, what are you talking about for the other guys? Because I have heard other people's say that Zadorov could even maybe land a first rounder, which I don't agree with at all. I mean, I think you could help a team in a lot of ways, but I, I'd be stunned if you could get a first rounder for him. Could you? I'd be pretty shocked too. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess when you throw a couple of trades that have been made at deadlines over the last couple of years, you could squint and see it. I wouldn't be expecting it. That's for sure. You know, people point to what Ben Sherratt got the Canadians and a couple of other defensemen that, you know, teams paid through the nose for and, and definitely gave up a lot to bring in. But, yeah, I, it, it's hard for me to see Zadorov getting a first-round pick. But, you know, I, I, think you could get, I think you'd get a couple of nice assets for him anyway. And, you know, it's, oh, fun yeah. it's, it's, it's funny we're talking about all this and, and you, you talk about how the it's not always the best plan to just completely tear it down to the studs. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at the Dallas stars who they're playing on Friday night. And uh, the, the Dallas stars seem pretty set up for a run at a Stanley cup. I think Wes and I talked last hour about how Dallas in, in my eyes and, and Wes agreed that I think Dallas would make a really interesting trade partner for the flames for some of these UFAs. But I, I take a look at, what the stars have done and how they've gone about their business. Yes, they got Haskin in at number three overall, and they got him in the 2016-17 season, but it's not like they were 
so bad that year that they were clearly purposely tanking. They finished three games below 500 and they finished nearish the bottom of the league when it was all said and done that year. But it was really the only year that they had a really big time down year. They also, uh, I believe they helped themselves nicely by winning the lottery that year. Uh, they finished 24th overall that season. Uh, they got the number three overall pick. And in the 2017 NHL draft, their first three picks were Miro Haskinen, Jake Ottinger, and Jason Robertson. They got Robertson in the second round. They got Ottinger late in the first round. They got Haskinen third overall. Two years prior, they got Rope Hints in the second round. So there's a Dallas Stars core that was drafted with one top-end pick that they got from one really poorish season, but it wasn't even a bottoming out season. And the stars are knocking on the door to winning a Stanley cup. And they were in game six of the Western conference final last year. So I guess what I'm saying is there are examples of teams that can be pretty smart. You, you get a couple of good drafts, you get a couple of good assets and you have a couple of young players that continue progressing. And maybe it doesn't need to be a six or seven year to the studs turnaround. I think that the Dallas Stars are a great example of exactly where the Calgary Flames mindset is. Yeah, they got, uh, you can say they got lucky, they, they, they made great picks, whatever. Those draft picks, those four that you just cited, changed the game for this organization because they're all home runs, right? And, and the, but, but, but through it all, they kept Sagan, they kept Jamie Benn. These guys are, to me, they're the exact same thing as Kadri and Huberto. And because they also had some down years too, those two guys. And now they've kind of, you know, they've been better now with all these young guys and stars around. They don't have to play primary roles. Jamie Benn and Sagan are more like complementary players uh, on their team. Uh, so uh, you can retool on the fly. The Dallas Stars are a great example of it. And that's exactly the sort of dream scenario the Calgary Flames have, I think, in their mind as they move forward. Because they're not getting rid of Huberto. They're not getting rid of Kadri. And they're going to keep those guys and retool around them. Not that they're the primary pieces anymore because of, you know, how they kind of struggled. And, and Cardi's played a lot better than the other one. But at the end of the day, the veterans are going to stay. The retooling will be done around them. And again, I mean, people are saying, well, you can't just use that. That's a miracle draft. Just how about you yeah. draft as well as the Stars draft? Because... They drafted Wyatt Johnson, 23rd overall. He's a huge part of their team right now. They drafted oh, Logan yeah. Stankovin at 47th overall. He's uh, he's a blue-chip prospect knocking on the door. Uh, they drafted Maverick Bork, 30th overall. They drafted, as I, as I mentioned, Ottinger, 26th, Robertson, 39th, Hintz, 49th overall. So, yes, the draft example of, well, you get Haskin and Ottinger, Robertson-like players with your first three picks. Is that going to be something that you can easily replicate? Probably not. How about you just draft as well as the Stars do? They're a really good example of how a team can just make the best of their picks as opposed to needing to bottom out and needing to turn into an awful team for a long time. So, Well, easier said than done to have those miracle drafts for sure, but... If you do what I think the Calgary Flames are going to do and what we've been talking about by trading, say, three of these four UFAs and just accruing a handful of first, second, and third rounders, you increase your odds of hitting it big with, with, with those guys. So yeah. and nobody thinks that the Calgary Flames can turn around in one or two se- you know, one season anyway. Maybe two seasons they could start to really uh, – it, it all depends. Hey, listen, they have one of the best AHL franchises in the game. That's a huge – stepping yep. stone for this organization 
And, you know, Pospisil has been such a revelation. Zari's got people so excited as well. And these are guys I don't think anybody was excited about three weeks ago, right? Yeah. And, and now they've come in and, and given great uh, – they're not – they've not only added excitement for the fans and some hope, but in that room the guys are, are – we've talked endlessly about how much energy they've brought to them too. So there are more like them down on the farm already. I know – now we're going to see four or five more names from the American Hockey League team on this roster this year. I'm telling you that. That's a fact. You can yep. take that to the bank. Yep. They want to see these kids. There's no more like uh, the coach won't play these guys because they don't give us the best chance to win. They think they can do both at the same time. See what we've got while also trying to win games. Eric Francis, Pat Steinberg, we are underway this hour on Flames Talk, and this is the Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a $312 million positive economic impact in Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. Please play responsibly. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Eric Francis Hour continues on this Friday. Eric with us from Dallas, Texas. First of all, I got uh, pulled over once on my uh, on my way from Dallas to uh, sorry from Houston to Dallas, and I remember the uh, officer pulled me over, and I'll never forget it. He said he didn't say it like Francis. When you say Dallas, Texas, how do you say it? Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. This guy, I don't think he was from there. He goes. Y'all just uh, y'all just trying to get to Dallas, and I was like, oh, I'd never heard it uh, said like that before. So <laughs> I'd never heard, and uh, that that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. It's funny. I have a driving story from Dallas too. Like in Texas, it's big here. We know that. Years ago, when Friday Light Friday Night Lights came out. They said to me, hey, you know, when the movie's coming, why don't you go down to Permian where it's all big? Yeah. Permian Panthers. Yeah, go down to Permian and and do just a big expose on college foot or high school football in Texas and how big it is and what it's a lifestyle. It's it's everything over there and it's like hockey to us in Canada. And so I picked. I was stupid. I I didn't realize. I I I thought I'd pick a high school where there was like so that I picked a high school with like a twenty five thousand seat stadium, brand new, like you know, like a thirty million dollar complex. Yep. And. But my mistake was I picked it in Houston. I could have picked, like, there, there's dozens of them I could have picked. I picked one in Houston. Well, from Houston to Permian, I think it was like an eight-hour drive. Like, I just didn't <laughs> even think about it. Like, just stupid, right? So, I, you know, I spent the first Friday night covering that game, and then I drove all the way to Permian. Anyway, it, I used to bite my nails a lot, and I, I, had a, I lost my two front teeth in a charity hockey game years ago, so... I, I was chewing my nail and my tooth came out, it, my front tooth. And the, <laughs> uh, the reason I remember, remember, I remember thinking if there's one, and, and I was there for a week, so there was nothing I could do about it. I just got, I've got, I'm toothless in the front there for a week. And I'll never forget just thinking like, you know what? Like with every diner I went in along, like in these <laughs> tiny little towns all along Texas, if you're ever going to lose a front tooth or just be toothless, it might as well be in the middle of Texas because you fit right in, man. Like, it's just the way it is. Like, so anyway, I, I always remember that when I think of Texas. Uh, and you're right. Seven hours and 27 minutes from Houston, <laughs> Texas to Odessa, Texas. 
the home of go. Permian High. <laughs> Stupid me. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, it'll be it'll be fine. It's nothing. It's like yeah. it's like when people come if people come from Europe to Canada, they're like, oh, city to city, that can't be that long. Ten hours? Yeah. What are you talking about? I thought you said you were close. Right, and and. This is like 20 years ago before Uber. Like, I would have been so stupid. I'd have said, I don't need a rental. I'll just take an Uber. $4,000 Uber. <laughs> that would have been good. Well, <laughs> um, anyway, I don't, bite my, I don't bite my nails anymore. That's the good part of the story. <laughs> except when you're in Texas. Otherwise, you don't bite your nails. Uh, what, uh, what did the Flames get up to? I think we all saw the video, or many of us saw the video. If you haven't, go check it out on uh, oh, the Flames socials. It. It's Awesome. Uh, the Flames were in Dallas or in Texas, Central Texas, for U.S. Thanksgiving, which meant uh, there was a local there was a local place to go for the team yesterday. Yeah, and and, and I, I remember asking Coleman Blake Coleman from here. Obviously, he, uh, you know, how lucky do you feel like that? You know, and I was I felt lucky to be here for for U.S. Thanksgiving with you know they got the football game going on here and all that, but he's like, Oh my God. And it's his birthday as I think people know, but, and so they hosted people and I said, God, like, I know you've got a big shack down here, but like, is it big enough for everybody he goes? No, no, no. We're going to my in-laws. It's a little bigger there. Well, if you look at the video, <laughs> like it says a lot when a room full of very wealthy young men, all they talked about today in the dressing room was, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> that spread that the in-laws have uh, like Blake married up. Let me just tell you that (laughs) (laughs) it's the in-laws house. There's a replica in the backyard of the house. Like it's a dollhouse for the kids sort of, but it's two levels. It's got air conditioning in it. It's a playhouse for the kids, for the grandchildren. They just built it for the grandchildren. It's like three acres. When you see this video, you'll see like there's guys golfing in the backyard uh, there's nine hole golf course. Like it, you, you're like a wiffle ball. Like you play with kind of like a Nerf ball. Yep. And then, and then there's a tennis court. There's a basketball court. You got Pospisil playing tennis. There's actually not a bad stroke. It looked like he's pretty good. And, uh, I, I remember talking to Connor Zari. He's like, I go, what'd you do? He goes, I couldn't get to everything. Like I tried to, I tried to play a little cornhole. <laughs> then I, then I tried to play some basketball, but I couldn't get that. And we ran out of time and then we had to eat. And, and I guess the chef at one point came out. Blake was telling me the chef came out to say a few words. It wasn't a catering company that did this. It was a chef. And uh, the chef says, look, I don't want to brag, but uh, I beat Bobby Flay in a TV cook-off on national TV. So, you know, this should be some pretty good food. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know what the chef's name is, but he's probably quite famous already. So, yeah, what a, what a neat experience That bonding for the boys and, um, and, and for them to, I think, see that lifestyle that uh, his in-laws and him live is uh, quite eye-opening for even guys in that room who make six, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year. Uh, it's probably beyond their means, too, that sort of lifestyle. Um, so uh, I hear that you got kicked out of uh, the Coleman's in-laws places. I heard that you were just a little bit too rowdy and they had to remove you. Or am I making things up? You're making things up, uh, I, of course. <laughs> no, I, I saw where you invited. were. You didn't go. I did not get invited, uh, nor would I expect to be invited. But, uh, yeah, I had a chance to go to the Cowboys game. Uh, Ryan Leslie and I went down there, and uh, Jason Barbara uh, Bar- uh, Barbara. Barbara joined us. Yeah, easy for me to say. And uh, 
And, you know, it's funny because there, there's 30 clients here, like uh, big sponsors with the Calgary Flames. And Lanny McDonald is here and Colin Patterson and and uh, and uh, a whole bunch of Calgarians. I know a bunch of the uh, the sponsors. And so ran into them. And with the magic of a Roly Sear, who some people with the Flames, people know him around town, uh, he mastered the art of the BS and talked us we all bought tickets for a hundred bucks and we were in the, like the 400 section. Like there's not a bad seat in that house, even though there's 105,000 people there. Like it's just the most incredible building you'll ever be in, in your life for sports. The house, the house that Jerry built. The house that Jerry built. You know, there's, there's 25,000 tickets they sell for the Dallas Cowboys games that are standing room only. More people stand and watch the Cowboys games in there than go watch a flames game or a Stampeders game in seats. Like it's just, and it's just so incredibly done. Like they move people in and around there just so brilliantly. And, uh, but it, you know, we got to, to come into the, the, the suite section sat at the 50 yard line. And just as we walked out, there was Dolly Parton. Like we didn't know that she was performing. I'm not sure many people knew. I don't know if it was a, a secret or not, but, uh, nobody told me she was going to come out at age 77 wearing uh, Dallas Cowboys gear, uh, cheerleader gear. Uh, just shocking. And I don't know, I don't know if there's a buzz out there about her appearing and, and wearing what she wore, but I can tell you in house, people loved it. They ate it up. Uh, they thought she was an absolute home run. Uh, I have heard that some people think that it was, it was a bit of a mockery, but I, I thought it was great. I, what did you think? Did you, uh, well, I was, uh, if you didn't watch the game. You, I was, you might have saw the highlights. I saw the highlights and all of a sudden my text, like my, my phone, couple group chats started blowing up, and then I saw, saw Twitter, and I'm like, why is everybody talking about Dolly Parton all of a sudden? I was thinking it was because she was just on Howard Stern, and, and she was just on Howard Stern last week, and, 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 and I listened to the whole thing. It was just an unbelievable... Like, they were talking about how, like, her first single when she was 13 or 12 years old, and I'm like... Holy, she has been recording music for that long, like sixty-five yeah. years, and 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 I just like it was the most fascinating interview. I'm like, oh, maybe people are just catching up on Dolly Parton's interview with Howard Stern. No, it's because she was at halftime uh, at the Cowboys game. So I was like, so it completely caught me off guard. I had no idea it was coming. So it was definitely a talking point on social media. And, and, it, and it, like I said, I thought she did a great job and. Uh, you know, that screen there is incredible. You're just watching Dolly Parton larger than life in every, every way. And you're watching her on this big screen going, Oh my God, this is a legend. And having just come from Nashville where she's revered and, and beloved, you know, here she is in Dallas, just crushing it. And it was actually quite funny. Uh, as after Roley talked us into the <laughs> swanky area we're, we're Michael Irvin walks by, you know, talking about larger than life, like physically, and then just in every other way, like he is Cowboys to me. Like that's, he is the sure. ultimate Cowboy. And there he, he walks by and like, for lack of a better term, army fatigues, I don't know, like just dressed. He's the, he's the man, right? He had a security guard and a bodyguard uh, with him. And Roley says, hey, we're from Calgary. Can we get a photo with you? I never would have asked for a photo with the guy. Didn't, you know, that's not my thing, but uh, he stopped and did a photo with us. So we've got this hilarious photo of Michael Irvin with me and Ryan Leslie and, and Barb's. <laughs> it's just a, it is a bizarre day, you know, but again, like, at the end of the day, I, I'm not the first guy ever to go to a, a Dallas Cowboys game, but I, I, that's certainly the only time I'm ever going to go to one. Like I'm not a 
huge NFL fan. I just went because I wanted to see that building and the spectacle of Thanksgiving football in Texas. Like, what an honor it was to be there in every way, and uh, it didn't disappoint. Uh, I know. I don't know who won the game. I think Dallas. Dallas won. I know Dallas won. Four, Forty-five yeah. to ten. I, I kid that I don't know this. I know they they romped all over them because the crowd was going nuts the whole game. Um, I know that the Cowboys are a juggernaut this year and expected you know to challenge for the Super Bowl. None of that meant anything to me. I just enjoyed the experience. Uh, the game the game could have been six three. I wouldn't have cared. So it was it was awesome. What a if anybody's ever thinking about going down on a, as part of a bucket list, uh, I can tell you it didn't disappoint in any way. And the last thing about it was it I just thought oh it's going to be a nightmare to get out there. It's going to be a nightmare to get back. Um, twenty five minutes from downtown Dallas, no problem whatsoever. Right to the stadium, uh, parking outside the stadium in Dallas. I, I I was sure I saw it. I took a photo of it because I couldn't believe it. $150. If you you know how you know how at the dome there's people there waving their flags and their flashlights. Come on in here and park for 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And it, yeah, and everybody says, oh my god, they're gouging. 20 bucks. Are you kidding? Dallas Cowboys game, $150 for the, to park across just a couple blocks away from the stadium. I I couldn't believe I saw it. And then there were competitors offering a uh, cut rate through a uh, price of 120 <laughs> different world here. Everything's bigger. Yeah. Everything is bigger. Even parking prices bigger in Dallas and bigger in Texas. Uh, double back. Just uh, we'll, we'll maybe wrap it up with a little pseudo story time. Uh, just back it up on Lanny McDonald being down there because uh, when you and I were getting ready and, and talking before we did this week's Eric Francis hour, boy, Lanny sure is an incredible ambassador for the city of Calgary and the Calgary flames organization. I just, I don't know if you could choose a better human being to be one of the faces of the organization. And there's no question. That's what Lanny is. And boy, they're lucky to have him, aren't they? They really are. And tonight him and Patterson are going to read out the starting lineup to the team. Um, when Connor Zary was in the press box last game, and Lanny found out about it. He didn't know if he was hurt or not, or if he was, uh, you know, whatever. He was a little banged up, but he's back in tonight. But Lanny sent him a text. And I started, it meant a lot to Sorry, Like, you know, he, he, he texted him right back. Thanks so much. Lanny. And the message was basically, listen, you know, take this opportunity to learn. You're never too old to learn. You're playing great. Just, just take this as a, as a, as an opportunity to do, just get even better. And just, just him reaching out means the world to these kids. He touches base with every player on the team. He's been nonstop with Huberto over the last year and a bit to try and help this guy get out of, get out of his own head. Um, he, he, this is an unpaid gig. This is just him, a legend, being an incredible ambassador for a team and a sport that he loves. And, you, you know, I, I'm lucky to every year I run into him, you know, with the sponsors on one of their trips and he knows all their names. He has, he has, he's having more fun than anybody there. He is, uh, at one point, we were sitting, like I said, the 50-yard line at a Dallas Cowboys game, and some guy stands up about five rows behind us and screams out, Lanny, like, like he saw Santa. <laughs> Lanny, Lanny. And Lanny, of course, turns around and he goes, I was there for your very first game as a Calgary Flame. And I met you a couple of years. Like he's going on some 
whole dissertation. And that I met you a year later, and it was the best day of my life. So thank you. <laughs> Here in the middle of Dallas, Texas, you know, and <laughs> these sort of things get said to da- to Lanny all over the National Hockey League yep. because he's that iconic. He's got that look. And I'll just say it simply: I, I he's a he's the greatest human being I've ever met in my life. I I don't think there. I'm not alone when I say that. Like his enthusiasm, his he's just happy to help out. And Backlund came out at one point. He was in the dressing room today, shaking all the guys' hands and saying hi. Backlund came out, and first thing he says, "Hey, Lanny, thanks so much for agreeing to do that meet and greet for my charity event coming." Like, you know, Lanny's like, "Of course, like, of course I'll do that." So, just uh, for those people who just think Lanny's just a fan now, who just has a casual connection with the team, please know that even though he's not paid a dime by the organization, he is absolutely integral uh, to this organization. He is the face of the franchise. He is the heartbeat in some ways. Um, can't say enough about the guy. Yeah. So thank yeah. Thanks for letting me uh, kind of extol the virtues of Lanny McDonald. But that's not news to really anybody because everybody knows he's as advertised. I just uh, know whenever I see him at an alumni event, you know he's going to be there unless he's doing one of the other hundred and fifty things he has that that he does. Whether it's he's in Toronto for the Hockey Hall of Fame or he's overseas mm-hmm. with the troops or like if he's yeah. not doing one of those things. He's wherever the alumni is, like they could be doing anything, and he's there. He's at the breakfast with champions for Special Olympics Calgary every year. He's he's out there dropping ceremonial pucks for Special Olympics games here. Like he's he's uh, involved if they're unveiling a new community rink or they're doing a donation here or like cerebral palsy kids and families. It doesn't matter. Lanny's there. You're right. Uh, well said. I don't really need to add much to it because uh, you just nailed it, my friend. That's a good way to wrap it up, hey? Uh, yeah, just, just I to, think so. Just extol some virtues in one of the best Calgarians there, there is. I know he's from Hannah, but we, we, we now claim him. Uh, he's a Calgarian. Yeah. <laughs> he's ours. Yeah, he's ours for sure. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and I'll tell you, when you were at 30 sponsors, and this is their little Christmas trip, you know, like they're – these guys don't uh, turn down a drink ever. You know, like they're having a great time, guys and gals. If Rolly's hosting, uh, yeah, nobody turns down drinks. Absolutely. And these guys go hard all three or four days they're here. And Lanny is right there until uh, until the wee hours of the night. I'm not saying he's getting overserved or anything like that. Uh, some some are, but uh, <laughs> I'm not, he, he's not one of them. But I'm just saying he's there to just enjoy the celebration, man. Like, And that's hard work, too. I got to tell you, like, sometimes you just don't feel like being out and yep. certainly around a lot of people and he's the focal point and he does it with a grin all night long and and usually a beer in his hand at the same time uh enjoy the game friday enjoy the game in denver we'll see you back here uh early next week thank you pal thanks my man have a great weekend you too that's uh, eric francis that's the eric francis hour here on flames talk as we start to wrap things up thanks to eric and dallas for joining us as always got into lots and thanks as always to horse racing alberta because the eric francis hour is brought to you by horse racing alberta the alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a 312 million dollar positive economic impact in alberta annually visit the horses.com 18 plus please play responsibly